Amen. Thank you, Miwa. Oh, let me turn this on. Thank you, Miwa. Uh, for all of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Noah, uh, Pastor Noah. I'm the pastor here at Park Community Church, Hyde Park. Uh, thanks for praying. Miwa has been a faithful servant and uh, worker on the university campus too, and so a privilege to have you pray for not just us, but the university and for all that is going on. Church, uh, if I haven't met you yet, uh, yeah, I said that already, my bad. My name is Noah. Uh, but I was going to remind you all that today we are beginning a new sermon series. And so if you have not picked up one of these amazing scripture journals, they're pretty thick actually, uh, pick one out. One of our Connection Team members should have given it to you. Uh, but we are gonna, we're going to start Luke today. And at Park Community Church, we value going through entire books of the Bible. Uh, because as we do this, we know that we don't miss anything. We're not going to skip over difficult passages or passages that might be really hard to, re- to, hard to understand, but we want to do that together. And so the reason we're giving out these scripture journals is because we don't want you to be just passive hearers today, but we want you to engage with the, script, with the text itself. We want you all to underline it, to take notes, the section here where you can like take notes here. You can write questions on the side and more. And this is our gift to you. Uh, this is our hope that you would walk with us through the sermon series together. Perhaps you can read the text before you come on Sunday. Perhaps you can, you know, join one of our missional communities that are engaging with the Gospel of Luke and studying it together. Or perhaps you know someone who may not be a Christ follower or maybe a new follower, and you want to walk through the Gospel of Luke with them. Take an extra copy if you want. We, if we need to order more, that's all the better. And so please make sure you grab one. Um, and if you can, turn to the first, uh, first page, which will be Luke chapter 1. Now today, before I read our text, what I want to do today is really just set up the entire Gospel of Luke. Before we dive into this beautiful narrative and story of Jesus and his ministry, it's helpful really to ask some preliminary questions to this Gospel account. And so I have uh, the questions behind me here. Uh, There are four questions. Who is Luke? Who is he writing to? Who or why is he writing to them? And then the question really for us is, how should we then approach Luke throughout this series? So turn with me to chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading from verses 1 through 4. All right, 1 through 4. Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, We thank you for Luke. We thank you for the work um, and the inspiration and the Holy Spirit guidance and empowerment of this word that has lasted for over 2,000 years. And we now, in 2023, are reading it together and going over it as a church. Uh, We thank you that it points only to the one Jesus that we love and worship who has come and lived and died and resurrected. And so, God, we pray that as we get into this text, God, that it will not just be any text or any words or just any book, but it would be truly your words that can truly transform our lives, our community, and really our world. 
And so give us, God, open hearts. I pray for me, even as I just set this text up, God, that you would help um, yeah, help us just to understand the overall context so that when we get into it, we truly know how to prepare and posture ourselves for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in the recent years, uh, one of the most maybe one of the larger issues in our society has been the issue of fake news. Fake news, okay? Now, with the accessibility of social media, bots, and the sheer amount of information, fake news has exploded. Now, for those who may not be too familiar, here's the definition of fake news, all right? Fake news is defined as false information intentionally presented as factual news with an intent to deceive. Now, in the reality, and this can be, you know, a little bit tense here, but like the reality is that this affects even what political candidates we vote for. This affects what company or celebrity we support. This even affects what we believe what's going on in the world, like in Ukraine or in East Africa, or even in our local city government. There's a, there's a study out that um, MIT researchers have revealed that because of just this, you know, just amount of fake accounts and bots and things like that, that fake news stories are 70% more likely to be reshared online than real news. Now, for us, we've probably experienced this ourselves. We've seen some of the most divisive topics throughout our culture in the past just even few years. And one of the most... Um, I would say the visive topics, I'm not trying to be controversial here, but just the reality is the information or misinformation of COVID or the COVID virus. We've had many conspiracy theories of where it came from. There was hundreds of ways not to get it. There were questions on the number of deaths and number of how many people had it and didn't have it. And then most recently, which is not too recent, but really recently, it's been the question of the vaccine. Like, does it work? Is, does it mess with pregnancy? Does it have a microchip in it? There's a lot of different information and misinformation about it. Now, my goal is not to tell you what's right or wrong, but the reality for fake news is, I would say, honestly, that fake news has caused more division and impacted our society, I would say, more than the virus itself. Because fake news, or the art of deceiving people, has created such a distrust in our culture. Oftentimes, our first tendency now is not to listen first. It's not to seek to understand. It's not to even give the people the benefit of the doubt. Our crazier trust people. Rather, we are quick to judge, are quick to question, or even put down what other people say, especially if you're, particular, if you're from this party or that group or this organization. And it's gotten so bad that we really wonder who we can trust. Can we trust our government? Can we trust our government officials, our doctors, our aunts, our uncles, or even our pastors? Trust is at an all-time low today. So let me ask you a question as we get into Luke. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? I know it's a loaded question, don't get me wrong, it's a really loaded question, uh, because there is so much that goes into trusting someone, a person or a community or institution. And many of us, and I'll be honest, I have too, we've been burned by people. We've been deceived by people. We've been gaslighted. You know, we've, been, we've been hurt. 
But I start with this question because the writer Luke um, is very much setting up his gospel account with the similar question in mind. Luke is most likely writing in 85 AD, uh, around that, you know, give or take five years. That's, that's about 60 years now after Jesus began his ministry. So there are many over the past 60 years who have heard, maybe even some who have read about this Jesus, this Son of God, who has come to earth and lived among them and taught about the kingdom of God and who eventually died on the cross and rose from the dead in three days. And this church was growing and it was moving across the world. But there were many who were wondering, is this true? Is this really true? Christians, and even those who are non-Christians, were asking, can I trust this news I've heard from this person or read over here? And remember, this time period here, most people heard news through oral tradition. It was not through you know, online content or written records. It was through somebody else. So they were asking, is this Jesus who they really say he is? And in just these four verses, Luke gives one of the most prolific intros that really anyone can give in this time. And in this intro, he is essentially saying, you can trust me. Or perhaps you can trust the one who has commissioned me to write this. So let me just jump into the first question here. Who is Luke? Like, who is Luke and why is he important? Why is he writing this? For Luke, let me just say, from Scripture, we know that Luke was a fellow worker of the gospel. And I have some, you know, kind of bullet points here. He was a fellow worker of the gospel. And if you look in the book of Acts, he actually accompanied the Apostle Paul, who wrote over 13 books in the New Testament, in his last, our last two missionary journeys. But towards the end of Paul's life, when he was thrown into prison, Luke was also, one of the only few that was with him. Of occupationally, we also learned that Luke was a doctor. So he was educated and you know, technically trained. And church tradition also shares that Luke continued to serve the church, and eventually he died a martyr for the faith. We also know that Luke is not just the writer of Luke, but he's also the writer of Acts. And if you know this, uh, well, Acts is the, the written record of what happened in the early church and how the church exploded. But Luke and Acts really go hand in hand. And you'll see in the first verses of Acts, he actually references the name Theophilus again, saying that these two books go hand in hand. So Luke is a real historical person. He's educated and was a key disciple of the Apostle Paul and a leader in the church. Now, before I move on, those are really good things to be aware of, but I want to focus on this educated piece about Luke, because if we look at verses 1 through 4, it might just seem like a traditional intro for you, but this is what, ancient, this is what um, scholars would call a prologue, which were used in many traditional Greek literature. This might not mean much to us, but when you read this, if you were a Greek-educated reader and you were reading this piece, you would have seen that Luke had taken the most utmost care and skill and research in the work that he just wrote. They would be impressed, actually, and reassured that this was accurate historical work. For us, you know, we're, some of us in university are studying or have PhDs, but for Luke, he is following the, the maybe the MLA or the APA formatting. I don't even know if those are actually the formatting nowadays. Or Chicago formatting, I'm not too sure. Um, he, you know, perhaps he, 
if this was a uh, current piece, he would have an amazing bibliography, or maybe he would have the stamp of the University of Chicago on his document to say that this research is true and good work. And if you look at verse 3 here, read verse 3. It says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. That word followed in the Greek, which is the original language of the text, it also could be translated as carefully investigated. In other words, Luke personally investigated everything he could about what he had just written. And then when he says all things closely, that means that there wasn't a rock that he didn't overturn. In verse 2, you, if you go up, he says, he specifically mentions that he talked with eyewitnesses and the ministers of the word that, that were delivered to us, which were the people Luke knew personally and talked to to help write this account. He interviewed firsthand sources, secondhand witnesses, and read every letter or writing possible. And then in the end of verse 3, he says, for some, or I think verse 2, he says, for some time past which the NIV translation translates a little bit better. It says, since the beginning. Luke didn't just start with Jesus' ministry, but he starts at his, actually before his birth. And I wouldn't doubt that he probably interviewed Mary or Joseph or some people who knew them very well. Now, just for context here, Luke is writing during a time where there was no such thing as video footage or like even audio recordings. In the most tangible way, to collect truth was to interview witnesses to review the writings so that you can uncover the full story. Even today, like the only way nowadays is to really understand the full truth of a news story is you have to read the diversity of news sources. You can't just read one because they might have a little bias or an opinion here. But if you read about like five or six, you kind of get the truth of the whole story. And for Luke, he goes through all this trouble to tell his readers, to tell us even now, 2,000 years later, I am credible. I am credible in my research and writing. I am credible in my relationship with the Apostle Paul and the other disciples. I am credible even in my commitment and leadership in the church as I was a martyr of the faith. All I write is credible as can be. So you can trust this. You can trust this. The next question that kind of leads to that then is, so who is Luke writing to? That's important too. Who is he writing to? Like, in a way, yes, he's writing to us, maybe secondly, but Luke had a primary audience. And in verse 4, if you go to that, you see him writing to an individual named the most excellent Theophilus. Who is he? It's kind of a cool title to have, right? Who is he? Well, his name, Theophilus, it literally means lover or friend of God in Greek. But it's so it's also so it's safe to assume that this individual is a Christian brother. So most likely he's a Christian. Second, his title, most excellent, is not just some fancy title, but it actually means someone who is in a high governmental or some capacity in society. This this individual has high status. This makes a lot of sense because um, a lot of Luke doesn't assume. So this is key because um, this name and. This name, Theophilus, is also a Greek name, so it's not a Jewish name. So it means that this individual isn't a Jew, which for us in this time, the disciples were Jewish, Jesus was Jewish. But for Luke, he doesn't assume the readers know Jewish tradition and context. And so he's writing more to a broader, more non-Jew audience. 
And then lastly, this man most likely had a lot of money. Now, how do we know this? This is because for Luke to write this gospel and to write this prologue uh, about how he researched and did all he could to write this extensive gospel account would have been extremely expensive. Now, not only were parchment and pen expensive back in the day, but this would also include the sheer amount of traveling and housing and time required for Luke to interview everyone. Luke needed help. Perhaps he asked Theophilus to fund this project. But what he needed was he needed money to do this project, and Theophilus, in his generosity, would give it to Luke to do this work. It might be why also, if you look through the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, out of all the Gospel accounts, talks more about money than any others, and perhaps Luke had this person in mind. So who is Theophilus? In my opinion, he is a non-Jew Christian with high social standing who commissioned Luke to research and write this gospel account. But then the question comes up is, was this just for Theophilus then? Like, was it not for other people? Most likely not. Most likely Luke writes to Theophilus, maybe even ask him so he can write this, because he wants to distribute this broadly and widely to the churches throughout the known world. Perhaps Luke asked him for help because, uh, because he knew that there were many people around the world who were questioning and wondering, is this gospel true? And so if you read the gospel of Luke, what's also interesting is that he has a really strong emphasis on those, like I mentioned, who are non-Jew, but also on those who are poor, who are the orphan and the widows, who are disadvantaged, and really explaining and speaking to the core human experience of all people. You know, the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, they emphasize a little bit more on Jewish culture and the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And the Gospel of John is a bit more personable. And so Luke is writing probably to the most broad audience possible with the most extensive historical research required to make it credible. In a way, Luke is writing to people like you and me. I don't, I don't imagine many of us, are, most of us, are Jewish in background, uh, where many of us are educated, many of us actually want truth and want accurate research. And so in a way, Luke is writing to us. So then the next and most significant question of kind of the context here is, why is he writing to them? Why is Luke writing to Theophilus and the broad church? And I kind of explained a little bit here, but let me go a little bit deeper here. For what is Luke's purpose of writing this gospel? Look with me halfway down verse 3. He says, To write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Just in, those, just in that like one and a half verses, I see three reasons why Luke writes the gospel. The first one is he writes it to give an orderly account. Now, if you go back to verse one, Luke states clearly that he has undertaken a task to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished or other translations say fulfilled among us. So one goal for Luke was to put in order all the things of Jesus that he has fulfilled on earth and to write it clearly and plainly, to cut through any confusion or misunderstanding. Now for Luke, he's not sure what exactly his readers have heard or haven't heard. 
Have they heard about Jesus' 5,000 or, or feeding the 5,000? Have they heard about Jesus' teaching on money? Or has he heard about Jesus' manger, or manger birth? Or has they, have they even heard about the death and the resurrection? Or have they only heard about one or the other? And so Luke, what he wanted to do was to share an organized account. Can I get an amen? An organized account that covered everything, all right? He didn't want to miss anything because he knew the entire story matter. And I don't know if you guys like organized stuff. I do. Uh, and Luke really helps with that. But then it leads to my second reason, not to just to give an orderly account, but in the second reason in verse four, so that they have certainty. Now, it's hard to see it in your English translations, but there is a verb before that word certainty in verse four. The NIV actually translates it better. And if you have it on the screen behind me, it says, so that you may, and I would say fully know or fully recognize the certainty concerning the things you were taught. This verb know or fully know, it's often used in legal context when someone discovers the entirety of a case. Now, I'm not sure if you all like criminal law shows like Suits or Lincoln Lawyer or CSI. I won't confess which one I've watched. Uh, but oftentimes, the most important piece in that criminal law show is for, is for, that defend, for the prosecutor or the attorney or whoever is solving the case to get the full story. They need to uncover every detail discovered. But they don't do this just for more information, right? It's not just to find the story and like, you know, have a nice story. But they do so so they can prove their case to the judge or the jury so that they can make their decision with certainty. So the judge and jury can make their decision with certainty. Every detail needs to be there. In a way, Luke is doing the same. Kind of what I shared last week in my sermon on the last step of discipleship share, the goal for Luke was to present a case so compelling, so detailed, so orderly, so that the readers would fully know the certainty and believe this account, that this gospel is true. So much so that this would give these Christian readers a newfound strength, a newfound encouragement and hope of their faith in Jesus Christ. So in, a, in summary, Luke wanted to strengthen and encourage the church with this gospel account. But he also had one more reason. It's the third one. To teach or to catechize them. Now at the end of verse 4, you see that Luke ends concerning all the things you have been taught. And Luke is really intentional here because that last word taught, it's not the standard Greek word for teach or taught, but it's this word catechizo in Greek, which we get the word catechism from. Now a catechism, if you all don't know, it's basically a, a summary of religious doctrine in the form of question and answers useful for the instruction of others. So in the Christian tradition, it's often uh, catechisms were created to instruct and teach children all the way to adults in the truth and the ways of Christ and his church. Many church traditions and denominations have their own confessions, and perhaps some of you even grew up with a catechism. But for Luke here, the reason I believe is that this gospel story is not simply to know the story of Jesus, or just to have great belief or faith in Jesus even. But this story is given to y'all to instruct you on how to live and walk with Jesus. In other words, Luke wants this text to change your life and how you live it. 
from how you abstain from sin, from how you have a relationship with God, from how you love yourself, your neighbor, and even your enemy, for how you share the gospel and handle the hard things like the complexity of money, our poverty, our injustices, and many more themes. Because Luke may not have directly said this in the gospel, but as the church that has been reading this gospel for almost 2,000 years, we believe that these words are not just written by Luke, but also by the very authority and power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul states this towards the end of his life and his last letter he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These words, the words that Luke has written, through the inspiration and the movement of the Holy Spirit, has the power to transform our lives, only if we continue to let it marinate and let it impact our hearts, to let the Spirit move in us through these words, I'm confident that these words will change each one of our lives. You know, as I was kind of reflecting on these reasons a little bit, these three reasons, um, and how this looks in our lives, uh, I actually thought about my oldest son, Matthias. Now, Matthias is tw- uh, almost five. He turns five this Wednesday. But when he was younger, about a year old, the first word he learned how to say was, you know, of course, after mom and dad, was fish. All right? Fish. Now, I don't know the slide is next slide up here, but his favorite movie, hands down, growing up, was Finding Nemo. You see my amazing Photoshop skills there, too, by the way. Um, I swear... From the ages of like one and a half to like three, I've watched that movie about like 50 times, okay? I can tell you every single scene. I can tell you when to pause and skip ahead when the sharks are showing because it's kind of scary for a one-year-old. And it's actually the reason why as a family we got the Disney Plus description, right? That's, that's the reason why. But it's interesting. He loved that word. He knew what a fish was, mainly because of Nemo. But as he got older, about 18 months old, he clearly knew what a fish was, okay? Uh, He pointed to it just like that photo, fish, fish, fish. Okay, I get it, fish, fish, fish. But as he got older, finding Nemo wouldn't suffice. He wanted to see more, more kinds of fish. And so we got books, like books on different kinds of fish. And so he could see them and point them out in the various settings they were in. And then as he got a little bit older, we got even more like educational books, like National Geographic books to learn the parts of the fish, the gills, the fins, the eyes, what they eat, how fast they swim, and all the kinds of fish that live in the ocean. And then as he got a little bit older, and as COVID started to end, we got to go to the, to the aquarium, to Shed Aquarium, and see real live fish swim around. And then as he began to talk more, he asked questions like, what, you know, why are they in water? Like, what, what do they eat? And just so many questions of about what kinds of fish they were. And then about a year ago, about a year and a half ago, we had a chance to go to Hawaii to visit um, my wife's parents. And he got to see fish in more of the natural habitat. See, people, you know, it was like, you know, Hawaii is a beautiful place. And see fish in the water. You know, some of the people, they caught fish. And he got to, like, touch fish. And over time, for my son, a fish was no longer an orange clownfish named Nemo. But Matthias, my son, grew in confidence with great knowledge and certainty of what a fish truly was. And in other words, for him, a fish became more real to him. 
And in a similar way, when Luke is writing this gospel, and for all who read his account, he is wanting each one of us to truly know and experience Jesus. That Jesus for each one of us would be more real. That we would grow in confidence in who this Jesus is and what he did and how he changed our lives so that we can walk in faith and obedience because what what Jesus did. That more than trusting that Luke wrote this, that we would trust more fully in the one he's writing about. And that is my prayer for us as a church, that as we spend the next two years, yes, I said two years, in Luke, that you will learn more about this Jesus, that you would know him more and trust him more, that your faith would be strengthened and encouraged by him, and that your life would be truly transformed because you are choosing to follow him, that Jesus would be real. And this leads me to my final question for today. How then should we approach Luke throughout the series? And what I actually want to do is I want you to go to your journals again and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Um, we're doing a little funny thing as a church here. We're going to skip through Luke chapter 1 and 2 for our sermon series. Uh, and we're going to do that actually towards Advent or the Christmas season because it, it fits that season, right? Um, and we're actually going to start Luke chapter 3 next week. We'll go to Luke chapter 2. Uh, Luke 2 and 41, verse 41, so on your scripture, page 24. And I want to read this really interesting story about Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 41, on when Jesus was a, close to a teenager, a 12 years old. Let me read. It reads, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Now, this is one of the most interesting and unique stories about Jesus. Luke is the only one to write about this story. Uh, and in my opinion, there's a lot you can take from it, but I really only think Luke had one reason writing or putting this in his uh, narrative. And it's this, that even at the age of 12, Jesus Christ, though he was fully God and man at that time, he was aware that he was God, and that he belonged to the Father. Now, some context. In the time that Luke is writing, there are a lot of heresies or false teachings going on. And what was happening was that many people believed, or they were told, that Jesus was not God at the beginning, but that he became God later on. And so what Luke is doing is saying, no, no, no. 
whether we look in Luke chapter 1 and 2 in the, in the narrative or in the birth accounts, or even when he was 12, 12 years old, Jesus knew that he was God. Yet he was still confided into his humanity as he was becoming of age. And what I want us to focus on is in verse 52. Verse 52. And in verse 52, we see Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And this verse here is the summary of Jesus' life from age 12 all the way to age around 30 when he began his public ministry. So, so Luke now, he has 18 years of Jesus' life. Are you telling me that he has no other stories about Jesus then? Like, why wouldn't he include time when he became 18 or at 25? Like, was Jesus already doing miracles and teachings by then? I mean, you know, he was kind of doing this already in the temple at age 12. I imagine he was doing it more. But Luke chose not to write about that time. And personally, what I believe is because what Luke wants us to remember, perhaps, is that in these 18 years, Jesus waited. He grew in his humanity. Literally, that word stature means that he grew physically bigger. He also grew in wisdom from others and over time grew in his favor with God and man. I mean, even in the story, he chooses to obey his earthly parents. Did he have to? Wasn't he God? He didn't have to, but he did. And what amazes me is that the Son of God, the creator of the world, perfect in all his divinity and even as a human being, he chose to humble himself to wait, to grow, to gain the favor of others. He, he could have just domineered, but he chose to wait. He was patient. He didn't complain or rebel, even though he could. He didn't do secret miracles on the side and try to outwit everyone. He submitted himself, even to his own parents, and he slowly grew in wisdom and stature for 18 years until God called him into begin his ministry at the age of around 30. So as we engage with the Gospel of Luke, whether it's in our devotional times, whether it's on Sunday mornings like this, whether in our missional communities or wherever else, my challenge to you as we read this is to have the same humility and patience and submission like Jesus did when he was waiting to begin his ministry. That we would put ourselves underneath God's word, underneath his spirit, and be willing to let the text even read us. That we would let it challenge us, let it encourage us, let it show us more of this humble Savior who came to rescue the entire world from sin and death. Because I promise, if you take this posture over time and how he calls us to live the life that is truly good and that is truly free, that is filled with joy and grace and love, I promise that this word will strengthen and encourage you and to allow you to take on whatever hardships and temptations you have in this world. Only if you let it, you will be slowly transformed into the image of Jesus you will even find more favor with God and with man. And this is not really my invitation here. This is God's invitation to his word. And the question for all of us as we go through this is will we take it? Will we take it? I want to end with this. Um, I really don't, like, I've been wrestling with this last thing to share at the end of this text. I've been like, had like five different stories, but let me just end with this. Um, 
you know, during the beginning of COVID, I, like everyone, everyone's going through a lot. I was going through a lot too, uh, just going through a lot. For me, this is the period that I started thinking about planting this church. Uh, it was the period also too when uh, our second born, our second was born right, like, right when the world shut down, like he was born. And even outside of that, my story as an Asian American male was one of just not handling and expressing my emotions very well. Uh, I'm not the most emotional person, as my wife would say. Uh, I often suppress it, or worse, I just become passive aggressive, which is not good either. Which resulted in me really being unable to fully connect with others or understand others like my wife or my kids, and even those in the church. So during that period of time, my, my wife, Sophia, she has suggested, perhaps right now, Noah, is a good time for you to look at therapy or getting a counselor. And for me, being a very proud individual, I was saying, no, nah, I don't need it. I, I ignored it. I ignored it, to be honest. You know, I did some counseling and therapy work in the past because of some family dysfunction. So I was like, I don't need it again. I'm okay. But like any loving spouse does, she continued to persist. persist. And I said, fine, I'll do it. Uh, and I think uh, the, the kind of the kicker was that health insurance at that time gave like free online counseling. And so I like, oh, it's free. So I'll do it, right? Being a good steward of life, right? Being a good steward. I said, I'll do it. And so fast forward now. That was three and a half years ago. Uh, fast forward now. And about 90 sessions after, um, I just actually completed that session of therapy. And I can tell, to tell you all that I'm incredibly grateful to do it. I'm glad that I did it. There was way more that I can share on this time, I think a whole day to share all that I've learned and kind of grown and having to just kind of wrestle with. But for me, I share this story because counseling for me reminded me of how much I needed help. That I needed to even be willing to say I needed help to receive it. There was so much emotional baggage I needed healing from. There was a lot of stresses and anxieties that were present and even coming forward to me that I had to work through. There were a lot of lies and shames that I had to just really be freed from. And still I'm working through that. But slowly over time with the support of others and through the ups and downs of ministry, God did a, a work in me where I can say by his grace, I have a bit more capacity of my emotions and I think I'm a little bit more aware of it than I used to be. And I share this all with you, and I, this is kind of why I wrestled with it. Like, what's the last story to share with you? And I share this all with you, not to say that we all need a counselor, not to say that I to, like to like make myself look good. Like, that's not what I'm saying to you. But my reminder for all of us is that as we go into Luke and as we just wrestle with this, is to submit, is to say that, yeah, I'm not perfect either, that I need help, that I need someone to work in my heart, in my life. And I pray that if you are willing to trust yourself to the word, to Jesus, and even to the church, that there can be some healing and transformation that happen in your life as well. And so don't be like me. Don't be stubborn. Don't uh, be begrudgingly say, ah, I guess I'll do it. But be willing to engage with the ways that God wants to heal and work in our lives. And I promise you, I promise you that Jesus can do it. Through the power of the Spirit, I believe he can do it. So let me just pray on that. Bow your heads with me. Let me just pray on that, and I'll invite the worship team up to lead us in one last song. But let me just pray for you all on this, and pray as we go throughout the book of Luke that God would do a great work in us. Let me pray. Father, I pray over us now. God, we are often such proud people. We love to be right. We love to 
believe that we can pull our own bootstraps up and accomplish all things. But God, I pray that as we go through your word these next weeks and months ahead, that as we look at the Gospel of Luke, that you would truly open our hearts and help us to be a little bit more humble and patient like Jesus was for those 18 years. That we would wait on you. That we would trust in you. That we would know that you can work mightily in us only if we let you. And so, Father God, I pray for just a chipping of the walls in our hearts right now, that you would break down those walls so that you, through your power of your spirit, would move and transform us, that we would trust you more, that we would submit to you, and that you would begin to bring healing, uh, transformation, uh, joy in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you, God, that you can do this. We pray this in the powerful and amazing name of Jesus Christ. Amen.